before we get into that, let me just share a little bit about myself. So, my name is Nate Zyman, and uh, I grew up in Hudson, Wisconsin. Um, there's one other person here, and that's my brother and roommate, so uh, who knows what that is. And I, uh, I grew up there, and now we moved to Flagstaff, like Vince said, uh, two years ago to help with the church plant with my, my wife, Emily. And she was up here singing with David today, and she's pretty good. Um, so it's always fun to hear her sing. Um, uh, eight months ago, we had our first baby. We have a baby, Tempe. She does a lot of preaching at church, too, but it's unsolicited, mostly. Um, just kind of yelling from the seats. So uh, if you hear that, that's, she's probably just saying, amen, but she's pre-verbal, so she doesn't know how. Um, so that will explain that for you guys. Um, so what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? I'm actually going to move this because I have the privilege of not being booted up today. Um, if anything, I will at least be the most mobile preacher that you've seen in like a month. So... I'm going to really be exploring the space on stage. Um, also, I normally have a guitar, so I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> Hopefully it works out. Uh, this week, uh, we have Romans 12, 1 and 2, like I said. What it is, what this text does, it's an important pivot in the book of Romans, 12, 1 and 2. Um, we've spent 11 chapters having some really deep theology discussed, having it flushed out and explained and, and even over-explained sometimes in all these ways. It's really, really deep, rich, and heady. That's where we've been for a long time. It's been over a year, huh, that we've been in Romans? Is that right? Okay, so it's been over a year that we spent looking at chapters 1 through 11. Um, last week, there was a change. There was a, there was a change, and it indicated more change to come. And it took us from, Vince said last week that it went from theology which is the study of God, these looking, this looking at true things about God, to doxology. At the end of chapter 11, in verses 33 to 36, we have a song that Paul erupts into in praise of God. Um, it's a great song, very beautiful. I just stole his lyrics actually last week, and we sang it together. So um, thanks, Paul, for that. Um, so we had this song that came, and we said that theology leads to doxology. That when you have a right understanding of God, you praise him, is where that goes. Today we see that continued, that idea. And how it's continued is it moves from, from more than just a singing and an expression of praise of God that's, that's just here and is singing and is, um, is emotionally charged and is, is this beautiful expression of who he is. And then we see it come into daily life. And we're going to see it go through daily life for, for many, many weeks to come in the, ne- in the coming chapter. So we have a change in the book. And this is the transition moment in verses 1 and 2. So um, that's where we're going. Last week, like I said, we praised God with song. This week, we praise God with our entire lives. We get to look at what that means, what that looks like. So let's start. If you have a Bible, please take it out now and turn to Romans 12. Um, if you do not have a Bible, Drew and, and some other people will be walking around now. You can raise your hand. Don't be shy. Um, you can, if you need a Bible to use today, please raise your hand and you can look at it. We love the, to be in the text, in the Word of God. It's His Word that has the power. It's not going to be my eloquence that has any power. So please get a Bible today. Um, if you do not own a Bible, uh, then you can keep this one. It's a gift to you. So if you do, just give it back. Let's look at what it says. Romans 12, verse 1. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're going to stop there and and look at that for a moment. So, Paul makes an appeal now to the Roman people. This appeal does not come out of nowhere. And we see that in the word therefore. When you have the word therefore in the Bible, you like to ask what the therefore is there for. Um, because it's there for a reason. That's right. Like Vin said, I'm brilliant. So, um, it's there for a reason. So, um, So what this is referring us back to is the whole argument we've seen for 11 chapters. It's books 1 to 11, the story of God that it tells. So I appeal to you, therefore, based on this story you've heard, brothers, it continues reiterating the connection now with another phrase, by the mercies of God. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Something I noticed about this was this causal connection is even more important to Paul than most in the book. Because he, he has often brought out this word, therefore. He's often said, for, and made all these causal connections. It's a very logically driven argument he's made for chapters and chapters. But this time, he takes the time and energy to point it out twice to us. And I think that's, that's, that's important. That's because this one, he particularly does not want us to miss. This appeal is not coming out of nowhere, but it's based on something. And it's summarized in his second statement. It's summarized in the statement, by the mercies of God. We see here, some people say it's, it's the shortest paraphrase you can get of chapters 1 to 11. This phrase, the mercies of God, is what we've studied for 11 chapters now. So if this is so important to Paul, and it is, uh, I wanted to make sure today that, that we know what the first 11 chapters said. That seems reasonable. And so we're going to review that quickly. Um, we're not going to get into all the ins and outs, but we want to make sure we at least know what the story is, what the mercies of God is. So the book starts. Paul says he's going he's gonna to not be ashamed of this thing he calls the gospel. He says it's, it's, it has revealed the righteousness of God to us to faith um, and for faith. He starts, he describes how God created the world and how because God has created the world, man is without excuse. His, in, his invisible attributes have been made clear through the creation of the world. And, and while, um, while it has been clear to man, we have made a foolish choice and we have worshipped created things instead of the creator. I was just in Sedona visiting our good friends Kelly and Randy, and every time I drive through Sedona, I feel like that is, to me, the most clear representation I've ever seen of that. Because it's this most gorgeous, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. But as you drive by, people are worshiping all these created things. And it's really tragic. And it's really, it's really foolish, if we're honest. Um, but we all do it. We worship created things in particular and including ourselves as created things. Um, and, and we find ourselves in this place where we're sinful, where we, where we cannot do good. Paul says later on, there is no one righteous, not even one, as he's quoting from the Old Testament. So all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, we learned in chapter 3 in the book. And the wages of sin is death, we found that through the sin, through this Misworship, death has entered the world, and pain and suffering with it. Um, everything has been broken, we see in Romans. But then it continues. We hear the story told of a Savior. 
of Jesus who, who redeems everything to himself, who has restored his people to God by his blood. We see that, that it's due to God's power and his sovereignty that started in creation, has been seen throughout this whole story, um, that we can trust that now in Jesus, nothing can separate us from his love. It's a story of mercy that we've been learning for 11 chapters, a, a really amazing story of mercy. Um, so, you, I mean, there's many sermons. You could listen to Vince talk for, I would, I would guess it's something like 40 hours at the text that we've had so far in this book. So if you, uh, if you have questions about any part of that, talk to someone. But that is the story that Paul is basing his whole appeal on. It's also the story we experienced in saying this morning. You notice we started with an adoration of God that we love him and he's our creator and he's amazing and worthy. We stopped to confess our sin. We sang that we needed mercy. We sang how great is your love, God, how deep it is for us, your people, that you would send Jesus to die on our behalf. So we walked through that together this morning. So we're, we're well positioned, and that's intentional, to hear the word today. Um, so it's based on something. This appeal does not come out of nowhere. He then says, um, he then goes on, he, he explains what his appeal is. And he says, what our appeal is, is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's look at what that means for a bit. Um, Sacrifice. Uh, I'm going to refer back to, to chapters 9 to 11 now for a little bit. We've spent a lot of time there. What happened for a while then is Paul discussed, having walked through the story of mercy, he discussed what does it mean for God's people, Israel? Uh, what does it mean for the Jewish people? Um, and uh, so when then we get the word sacrifice now, uh, you can, you can re- understand that, I mean, they, they had a knowledge of what he was talking about, what this word sacrifice was referring to. And it's a loose, uh, it's a loose reference to temple worship, that, that God had um, ordained that his people Israel would worship him in the temple through many ways, but one of the chief ways was the offering of sacrifices. Um, and so he's, he moves us from a song of praise to now he's going to start discussing, discussing worship for us. Living sacrifice. We're going we're gonna to be talking about worship today. So, um, one thing I want to stop and say. So, the living sacrifice. Uh, the word sacrifice, it implies cost. It did in the Old Testament that I mentioned quickly now. That people would have to come to the temple and, and in, in view of God's greatness and provision, they would give back to him things that he had given to them. So, they would sacrifice um, you know, the, the, the grain from their fields or an animal or those kinds of things. So they had to, you have to give up something to sacrifice. The, the word implies some cost. And so one thing we can see already is that rightly responding to the story of grace, it will imply cost. There's a cost involved to rightly respond to this story. There's a sacrifice. And what are we to sacrifice? We're to sacrifice our bodies, it says. Um, what could that mean? We're to sacrifice our hands and our feet and our mouths and our heads and our minds and our elbows, I suppose. Um, The most awkward body part, even. Uh, It all belongs to Jesus, right? That is why we are to give it to him. The cost is reasonable, though. That's something that we need to know. We need to know how reasonable this cost is. 
Because at first it might strike us as my whole body. That's what you ask in response to this story? My whole body? Um, but there's a story in Luke that helps frame this for us. It's, Jesus is, is confronted by some Pharisees, and, and they're trying to trap him. If you know the general story of Jesus, this is during the time when, when they're trying to trap him and get him in trouble with the government that they might get rid of him because he's causing many problems for them. So they're trying to trap him, and so they ask him a question that was, vol- that was you know, volatile at the time and contentious amongst the people, and they say, Jesus, are we rightly to give taxes to Caesar? And he responds by asking them, well, would you show me what, what were you talking about? What is that? What do you mean? And he asks them to bring him a coin. And so he looks at this coin, he pauses and looks at it in like a perfect Jesus juke moment, right? Um, and he looks at it and he says, whose inscription is on this coin? And he already knew. That's something that's kind of fun to think about. He already knew. I mean, he was literally looking at it. He was just wanting them to say so, um, so he could extra get them. So then he said, uh, whose inscription is this? And they said, oh, it's Caesar's inscription. He responds and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So he says, yeah, you guys can pay your taxes. But God, give to him what is God's, Right? We already talked about the story of mercy. It starts with God creating everything, creating you. If that's true, that means you are God's. So give to God's what is God's, right? So give God your hands and your feet and your mouths and your minds and your elbows, especially your elbows. Um, it's a reasonable cost. It's a reasonable cost. I, growing up, um, I grew up in uh, a fantastic a fantastic church. My dad is a pastor, similar to Caroline, um, Caroline's dad. And uh, one thing that I was reflecting on this story and on my story and how, how this has been, how I responded to the story of mercy. And what I saw as I looked at it was I grew up, I heard the story well presented, clearly presented. It wasn't something I didn't know in my mind. Um, but I think, looking back, uh, I've always told my story that I didn't quite get it, right? I've always said, well, the reason I didn't respond to God and worship Him was because I didn't get it. Uh, if I had known it, if I had been made clear, then I would have worshipped Him. And that didn't happen until later in life. But looking back, with some hindsight, right, um, which this is just for free, but you guys know the this, this saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yes think about that. That's not true at all, right? Like, you don't remember things right. So that's just, I don't know. I was just thinking about that this week. The hindsight is twenty twenty, and I was going to say that, and then I realized, no, that's not true. So it's not true, so stop saying it. That's, that's something. Um, hindsight can be helpful in certain situations, but it's not twenty twenty. You don't have perfect vision looking back. <laughs> it's, that's silly. Um, anyway, um, so hindsight's not twenty twenty. Helpful, though, in this situation. And uh, what it helped me to see is, Actually, what was getting in the way of being God, looking back, is that I just didn't want to worship him. I heard his story of mercy, and I wanted the forgiveness. I wanted the glory in the future. But uh, what I wanted now was to just do what I wanted to do. And, And I think that's because there's this thing in me, and there's this thing in us, called sin, and it's called pride, and it it just makes us want to be the center of everything. Even having heard this story, we want to be the center of everything. 
And so I did not readily respond to God for many years. We'll get back to my story a little bit later. Um, but one thing my dad would say, and this is, uh, this is just my dad, dad, you know, not dad, dad, right? Um, so one thing my dad would say uh, is he would tell me, you know, this is a pretty, pretty normal situation. It'd be a Saturday. My dad was a hardworking man. I was a lazy kid. I was 12 or so, you know. I loved my video games and my Disney channel. Um, and he would say, Nate, uh, could you help me mow the lawn? And I would say, ah, oh, do I have to? Do I have to, Dad? Boy Meets World is on in like 30 minutes, right? And, uh, and then God, or not Dad, 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 let's come back to you. So Dad would say, you don't have to, you get to. And that was one of his catchphrases that I heard, I heard more often than you would ever imagine, right? You don't have to, you get to. And it was a little snarky. And I deserved it, though. Um, and why I bring this up, it, it's this idea that sacrifice has a cost, right? So mowing the lawn is not always fun. It definitely wasn't fun for me in that moment. Um, some would say that's not a very high cost, um, but it sure felt like it as a whiny 12-year-old. Um, but when I look back now with helpful hindsight, not perfect hindsight, but with helpful hindsight, I look back and I see, look at what I had in my family. Look at what I had. I had a father and a mother who loved me. I had a home over my head. I had stuff to take care of, right? That's a privilege to have stuff to take care of. I had a way to bless my father who worked so hard for me. I didn't have to. I got to. Like, literally, it was true all along. I didn't have to. I got to. And I know my dad will probably listen to this, so I'm so sorry. You know, this is, I'm so sorry for my years of, of not getting all that I had and of making it all about me. So we see then, be a part of a family, there's a cost. I had responsibilities. Likewise, the story of God's mercy, being redeemed, being brought into his family, there's a cost. In both cases, the cost is so worth it, you can't even put it on a ledger sheet. Like, it's ridiculous how worth it the cost is. So give God your bodies. So, this is described in our text, the presenting of your body as a living sacrifice. It's described then as spiritual worship. And as your worship director, sometimes I feel a little silly about my title because of this moment in the Bible. Um, I think it is true because, you know, worship is described as singing and praise and those things. That's an aspect of worship. But we see Paul describes something he calls spiritual worship here. And he's talking about our bodies. One thing I love about that, he says our bodies, right? And then he says spiritual. That's a spiritual thing. How often do we miss that? Like, we, we love to have our spiritual life and then our physical life. We think this is, these are two different spheres I live in. One, over here I'm in church and I'm in prayer and meditation and the word. Over here I'm at work and at school and with my family and my friends. We make this sacred and this secular divide that Paul just takes in this text and he's just like, get. That's not it. Your body as a living sacrifice, that is your spiritual worship. That is your spiritual worship. Uh, we have a shirt and a phrase around Redemption Church. We say all of life is all for Jesus. Does anybody have this shirt on today? 
Well, I suspected that that might be the case. Yeah, give him a chance to preach. He's going to undress on stage, right? So we have these shirts. We should sell like hundreds of these today, if I may say. Um, But we have this saying in these shirts at our church, all of life is all for Jesus. That's this idea that there is no sacred secular divide. That what you do at school and at work, that's just as important to God as what you do here. That God is just as present there as he is here. If our minds are right about it, if we understand the story, the story is so much bigger than about Sundays, right? Um, So we worship God then by giving all of ourselves to him. We worship God. Uh, There's a story Emily shared with me, and I was there for it too. We were at Josh... uh, Josh's Starbucks. I don't even know if Josh is here today, but um, we were at Josh's Starbucks, and she was wearing this shirt, right? And the bar- barista, she, um, she said to Emily, oh, what does your shirt say? And Emily was saying, oh, yeah, it says all of life, all for Jesus. And, and then the barista was like, oh, that's cool, you know? And Emily goes, yeah, I got it at my church. And no one thought anything of that conversation. Um, we go home, and later that day, Emily comes to me, and she's like, I was, I, she was just kicking herself. Because accidentally, even wearing the shirt, she bought into the divide in her response to that woman. Because she made her, church, her shirt a church thing. It says Jesus on it. It's a church thing, right? And we do that way too much. And she, she talked to me about it, and I was like, ah, I'm sorry, and also you're very wise. <laughs> like, um, I'm glad to share my life with a woman like her who, who pursues this kind of whole body, wholehearted love of Jesus. So, um, she was just upset that she didn't say in that moment. She said, if I could go back and do it again, I would have said, yeah, buying this coffee from you, that's for Jesus, right? Buying the coffee, talking to you, having a day of rest with my husband, that's for Jesus. It's not a church thing. So, anyway... Let me get decent. <laughs> so also this has this idea in it, this idea that it's, it's your spiritual worship. And, and at the time in Rome, there was um, this word spiritual. And I had this connotation as well that, that it, was, it had integrity, that it was honest and real and reasonable. The King James translates it, which I'm not going to confuse you too much with different translations, but it says, that is your reasonable service. And that phrase has been stuck in my head. Just reasonable service, right? Um, so it's this idea that it's reasonable and it has integrity. It's what we were made for. It's what we were made for. And it is such a privilege to be a living sacrifice. To live an abundant life for God's glory. What, what a privilege. So going back to my story now, um, I mentioned already a little bit how, how I originally responded to the story of grace and, and tragically missed the worship of God in it. So I, I went to college. I got, a, I got an academic scholarship to Arizona State University, um, and I really loved it there. So I went, I went there, and I, I was so proud, you guys. And you can ask Emily, and she'll tell you probably some funny stories. But I, I mean, I ha- this is how much I misunderstood it. I thought I, I knew the story of grace, and I, and I had these ways to respond to it. 
skipping over the worship bit of it completely. And I thought, wow, what a blessing that Arizona State University would get me. I will take your word to the heathens, Lord, right? That was the way that I thought of all of this when I was going there. So um, I met people. I uh, got involved with, uh, with an awesome group of friends through Campus Crusade for Christ. And um, my first semester at college, they talked about grace every single week. It was like crazy, right? Just every time you'd show up and it would just be, you're sinful. Jesus loves you anyway. There's grace. And there was this moment when, when he was going through one of these messages where... Um, God worked in my heart through, through the sharing of his word. And God, God moved in me to where instead of that just skipping over the worship and that just bringing me to, to rules and regulations, where that made me want to love God. And that happened in my heart. It made me want to love God hearing this story. It made me want to do these things. Um, I began to love God. I began to adore him. His mercy was forever and it was for me despite my sin and my arrogance and my failings. And though it wasn't, wasn't straight from obedience to this particular text, looking back with helpful hindsight, um, looking back, I see that I began to present my body as a living sacrifice. And it was my spiritual act of worship to God. I began to love God with all of me because of his story. So it was an appropriate response, finally. It was a right response, finally. Um, there is a... Because early on when I heard the story of grace, I had this idea that, that I, God is good and he's forgiven me. And now I just need to run from everything bad in me that there ever has been and that there ever will be. And that's what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. I didn't, I didn't run to Jesus. I, I was running from all the sin in me instead. Um, so there's, we were down in Phoenix for a wedding because I'm at the stage of life where that happens every other weekend. Um, and we were there for a wedding. We were staying with some friends. And they have a little, like, she's about 14 months old, I think, at the time. A l- really cute girl. All this hair and hairpins and stuff. I'm a, I'm a dad to a little girl now, so I think everything is cute, which is new. Um, so uh, they, uh, this little girl, th- her mom said to us, oh, she loves being ta- chased. And her name is Evie, right? And so her mom was chasing Evie around. And look how mobile I am. And, uh, and Evie was doing this. Ooh, issues. Um, Evie was running around just squealing, going all over the place, uh, enjoying herself. And then a moment came, right? And her dad, my friend, her dad just said, Evie, come here. And he went like that. And Evie just beelines it to her dad. And I have to ask, which running was more effective for Evie? Right? When you're running from something, you just get all, I mean, it was a game and all that, but it shows us something. When you're running from something, you have no idea where you're going. You have no idea where you're going. You have no idea how to get there. You have no purpose other than avoiding something. When you run to something, it's quite a bit easier. It's quite a bit clearer, right? So this text calls us, you hear the story of God's mercy? Well, run to God. Run to God. Run to God. That's what we're seeing. Present your body to him as a living sacrifice. 
Let's keep going now. Verse 2 then. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I'm going to stop right there, halfway in the verse. So Paul keeps going now with two commands. We have a negative command and a positive command. I'm an optimist. Let's look at the negative first. Apparently Paul is too. Right? Negative first. So, um, do not be conformed to this world. Our negative command. What does that mean? When you are conformed, you're shaped by something. You're influenced by it. You buy into it. You may, it's a passive thing to be conformed. Right? I, uh, one of the helpful illustrations you can, you can use to get this picture in your mind is, if you imagine you're going to, going to the beach, um, something I hope we've all done. If not, this is your application for the week. Go find a beach, right? Just kidding. Um, so go, if you're at a beach, you, you lay out your towel, you put your sun hat down if you're like, um, you know, try not to get any sunburn. And then you put your snacks down because that's important at the beach. You go out and you start swimming. It feels amazing. You're out there um, just swimming around. You start getting tired, especially if you're me. It happens quickly. Um, I'm all legs, no torso, right? Not exactly Michael Phelps situation. Um, so you're swimming in the ocean. You get tired. It's time to, time to, time to turn back. And, and you go and you walk back. You get on the beach. And where is your stuff? You have no idea. The whole time you've been moved hundreds of feet by the current. You didn't even realize it. You didn't even realize it. You've been just swimming, doing your thing. You come back. You're somewhere that you did not expect to be. And it all happened passively. You didn't know what was going on. That's that's a good picture of confirmation, right? Not confirmation. Being conformed. I'll just go there. That's a good picture of being conformed. Confirmation has some other meanings in our circles. So I'm going to stay away from that. Um, So that's the idea of being conformed. You don't know what's going on. It's passive. It happens to you. Something, something takes you along somewhere that, that you, you're just going. You're going with the flow, right? And we are being conformed. We are not to be conformed, rather, to this world. That's what he's saying. Do not be conformed to this world. The world is the system of perpetuating evil and rebellion and self-centeredness. The world does not worship God or acknowledge him as creator. The world worships created things rather than him. And the world is stuck in sin and pain and death. That's what's happening in the world. And if you're not careful, even hearing the story of mercy, Paul's talking here to people who know the story, right? This command comes after 11 chapters of gospel. 11 chapters of gospel. And then he says, but you could still be conformed though. So instead, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. But... We have a contrast here. Vince would say it's a dichotomy, but I don't see any dictionaries in the crowd. So we're going to go with contrast. Um, There's a contrast here. We've got conform and transform, right? Instead of being conformed, there's another option. There's another option. You can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So let's get back to the ocean. Let's get back to the ocean. In the ocean, there's one creature that doesn't have a lot of say of where, where it's going to go. And it's called a jellyfish. And it moves like this. Right? You guys have seen this before? Maybe it gets a couple extra, but for the most part, 
So what does the current do to the jellyfish? Just pushes it. The jellyfish just does his little ploops. I studied biology. It's the term. None of that's true. Um, and, uh, and it just goes wherever it's pushing it. Now over here on this side, the transformed animal, you know, in our analogy, it's the dolphin. The dolphin, she's beautiful and elegant, and she does whatever she wants, right? It, the current's moving one way. It might make it a little harder for our dolphin. We might have to go to the skippies, more biology, right? <laughs> to, avoid, to avoid the current. But still, the dolphin is going to get where it wants to go. She's going to be okay. So the dolphin is able to not be conformed to the current, whereas the jellyfish is stuck in that. What does that look like for humans? We're not marine animals. <laughs> okay. I'm new. I'm new. So, for humans, we've, I'm going to set up now. One of the pastors at Preaching Collective from the Valley, um, he came up with a really beautiful and helpful list of things that humans do when they're conformed and then things that humans do when they're being transformed. So, when, when we're conformed, we, we refuse, we, we worship created things rather than the creator, right? When we're transformed, we rightly worship God. When we are conformed, we complain about things that bug us, okay? Or we can live in silence and gratitude. Um, here, I, could, I compare myself to others, derive my worth from, from the comparisons I make. And here I care about what pleases God. Right. A conformed person views money as theirs, and it's there to make them happy. For transformed, money is God's. I should steward it well. We expect to be served because I'm a consumer, I'm a customer, and the customer is always right. Or we look to serve because I'm a servant and because God became a servant and he served me. Here we will use technology. It will fuel our pride. It will medicate our pain. Here we use technology to bless and to build relationships. Here, the world tells me that sexual expression is my greatest need, my deepest need. I believe a relationship with God is my deepest need. Here, you have to, right? You have to. You have to do the things you don't want to do. And here, you get to because of the mercies of God. So how does this transformation come? It says here, it comes, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, is the phrase that we get, the million-dollar phrase in the text here. So, one quick thing to notice, it's not just your body. 
that you're to give to God. Renew your mind as well. These things, they help get paint for us the whole picture of a whole person. Your body is God's. Your mind is God's. How can we renew our minds? First, it's the work of God, having a renewed mind. Um, We are unable, without his mercy towards us, without his powerful spirit, we are unable to do these things. We can't renew our mind because we are so caught up in worshiping created things. We are so caught up in ourselves. We need to be saved from that and freed from that by God. His story does that. His spirit does that. It's a work of God. Um, but also there are things we can do to position ourselves to receive that grace, to receive the grace of a renewed mind. And there are things like spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines will serve to renew your mind. They will. If they're done in light of the story of God. So, so what do we do? We pray because we're desperate for God to move in us. We're desperate for change and salvation from outside of ourselves. We need something from out there to make a change in here. So we ask. When you need, you ask. And we need. So we ask. I'm studying for the LSAT right now, so... You can tell that kind of logic is just sharp. Um, we sing and we praise. We saw a good transition into a renewed mind. In, again, in, verses, in chapter 11, the end, Paul sings the song of the greatness and glory of God, of the incompetence and, and foolishness of humans. We renew our minds by focusing on those, those, those truths, by singing them and praising God rightfully with songs and affection. To know God... We read and memorize and meditate on his word. We read the Bible and we love the Bible. And it serves to renew our minds. Okay? Um, I would say this. If you, if, you are, if you heard that list of transformation and it sounded beautiful to you, if you wanted it, uh, please talk to the people in this community. Talk to, talk to the leaders. Talk to your friends. And... Uh, And let's try to get there, right? Let's try to get there. Let's try to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. There's a right way to respond to the story we see in this text, and there's a wrong way. So let's try to get there. Um, let's, let's, Let's learn how we can love God together. Let's learn how we can offer our bodies to him together. And let's learn how we can renew our minds together, all by his power. The text now concludes for today. It says, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that continues now, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now this phrase, the will of God, I think it's pretty loaded sometimes, right? Um, it can be something that, that we, we struggle with, and it's, it's bigness and it's vastness, and, and God's will is, is big and it is vast. We think of it as like a big life-calling moment we need to seek out and, and know. But, but right here it's defined in the next, next very uh, clause. It says, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So for the purposes of this text, I like to think of that. What is the will of God? It just means what's the right thing to do in a circumstance? What's the right thing to do? Um, and so this text says that with a renewed mind, you will discern what is the right thing to do. 
right? You will have that discernment because discernment just happens to a renewed mind. It's not commanded here. It doesn't say, and be discerning to know what is the will of God. It says, no, with a renewed mind, you will be able to discern what is the will of God, okay? And why I think that's important for us to get is because I hear all the times, I hear people I hear people share with me that they feel like they don't have the gift of discernment. It's often something that people just throw out as like, I don't have any discernment at all, so I need someone else to figure things out, right? This should correct that thinking. This should correct that thinking. Because uh, discernment is not just a super, um, I don't know, so there there are spiritual gifts given to the body for edification. We're going to learn about that next week even when you come back. And, um, and, uh, one of them enlisted many times as discernment. And we sometimes think of that as like a gift of prophecy or as a gift of um, tongues or of mercy. We compare it to some of these other gifts that we see really deliberately. They're given to some people and they're not given to some people, right? That's what we would say. Um, and, uh, but I think more, discernment is more like the gift of faith, right? If you love Jesus and the Holy Spirit has worked in you, you have a measure of faith. Likewise, we see in this text, if you have a renewed mind, you have a measure of discernment. There are people who are especially gifted to lead God's people with a great deal of discernment. But discernment just happens to a renewed mind. It's something for everybody. It's something for all believers. If you feel you lack discernment, renew your mind. Okay? So, the will of God... It also, we're going to see now, Paul, um, this also connects us to what's coming. What's coming in the book, Paul's giving us many, many, many more commands. More commands about that help us see what it means to be a living sacrifice. What it means to rightly respond to this story. Many commands are coming from Paul. He continues to clarify this stuff for us. So, um, that's another way that God's will be shown to us through his word, is we'll see, yes, he says to do this. He's, he, he says for me to do this here. Um, so God's will, as it guides us through the new complexities of our times and specific situations that the Bible is silent on, it will never negate these things that are coming, right? But it helps us navigate the new situation. So this kind of discernment never comes against God's word, but it just helps clarify how God's word applies to new situations. And that happens with, when you have a renewed mind. Okay, we did it. We're through the text. So, I already mentioned where we're going next. And, and while I don't want to overlook any of the specific things we talked about in this passage, what struck me the most in my study was was its function in the book as a whole. So I'm going to end today talking about that briefly. So, it shows us, it coaches us um, on this change from gospel story to practical behavior, right? It coaches us through that transition, this text. Because that's where we're going next. We're going to have all these commands of how to live our lives. And, the, and they're great they're great. They lead to the fullness of life and the glory of God, these commands. We should be so eager for them because we get to, right? So we're going there, and it shows us that this transition and the structure of the book as a whole it shows us that first you understand the gospel. You get the gospel. Get that story in you so deep 
study it for 11 chapters, right? I mean, it was most of the book. Most of the book, we just looked at the story. Um, and then we, we worship God with a song. We praise him. And then we find the teaching here. All of this stuff I'm about to tell you, it's worship. It's worship. All of this stuff I'm about to tell you is offering your body to God. All of this stuff I'm about to tell you serves to renew your mind. All the stuff I'm about to tell you is your spiritual worship. Do it because you love him. Do it because you love him. And it's what we're called to. It's what is good and acceptable and perfect. Every day, let's present ourselves to God. I mean, I was looking for an application. I was like, well, it's there, you know. I'm just going to say it to you. Every day, present your body to God as a living sacrifice. Run to Jesus. That's what the story calls us to. Worship Jesus. And in doing so, we will experience the fullness of life and joys that we didn't know possible. So this is every single day. Present your body to Jesus. Okay, if we miss this transition and the causality that, that, that Paul's appeal comes from and, and the things that are coming, um, if we miss this and we just plow into the commands, they won't be very hopeful. We'll become even more legalistic and even more miserable than we are now. Okay, living in our flesh and our strength. But if we love God and if we know his mercy and if we jump at the opportunity to please him and to serve him and to worship him, these will be life. We will test them and we will discern that they are good and acceptable and perfect and they will give us life like we never knew. Life that we cannot know outside of God's work and his story. This is a beautiful invitation. I was struggling with the text a bit because the word sacrifice can be so heavy. But what I want this to be for our church is an invitation. Let's worship God. Let's worship God every day. Let's worship God with our hands and our bodies and our feet and our elbows, right? Let's do it. It leads to life. It leads to life. And the only reason we are so fortunate to have this ability to present ourselves to God is because Jesus Christ, he presented himself to us, didn't he? So we can present ourselves to God in an act of worship because Jesus Christ gave himself into the hands of sinful man. He submitted to the will of the Father and he suffered and he gave himself to us. And we treated him as he did not deserve. And because of that, we have mercy. We have mercy that cannot be limited by anything that is found in Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me now. God, I just thank you for, for your story. Um, thank you for your spirit that moves here when your word is open. And, and I pray that this... This text, God, that it would call us into the beautiful life that you have for us. There is cost, God. There is cost associated with it. But it's so reasonable and so worth it. The cost doesn't even show up on the balance sheet at the end of the day, Lord, because you are so great. You are so glorious. Your mercy is so complete. So now, Lord, as, as we worship, as we respond in singing, would your spirit come? Would you draw us to run back to yourself? Those of us who have been running from sin instead. 
As we wake up this week on Monday, Lord, let us start with prayer. Let us start with an act of just verbally presenting ourselves to you. Give us hearts that desire to be a sacrifice unto you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.